This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from chilly and gloomy Massachusetts. I write the blog Law Sites, another blog Media Law, and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. Well, I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Bob, we're going to be talking today about college students and soccer moms downloading music illegally. Uh, some of them, anyway, have been at the forefront of the news as a major issue in homes, college campuses, and even high schools across the states. Recently, a federal jury found that a Minnesota woman, Jamie Thomas, shared copyrighted music online and was ordered to pay over $200,000 in damages. Uh, and even from the artist's standpoints, there are conflicting opinions about this. Recently, Ozzy Osbourne complained that he's suffering terribly from the effects of illegal downloading, forcing him to tour more. Uh, last week, Gene Simmons of KISS uh, said that uh, we should sue every college student in the country. Uh, but by comparison, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails uh, uh, has expressed his disdain for big record labels and encouraged fans to download his music. Uh, and, of course, Radiohead experimented with uh, uh, offering its song uh, at a, on a payment-optional basis, uh, is offering uh, fans the opportunity to pay whatever they'd like. Uh, from musicians speaking out uh, to college students being sued to a U.S. representative, uh, Rick Keller, putting together a bill to curb illegal downloading on college campuses. The issue of illegal music downloading is all around us. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we will discuss the ethics behind downloading music illegally, copyright law, the role of the RIAA, and the lawsuits brought by the RIAA. We'll also take a look ahead at the fate of the music industry, the effect on artists, and alternatives to illegally downloading music. So let's uh, welcome our guest today, starting with our first guest, uh, Attorney Richard L. Gabriel from the firm Home right, Roberts thanks. and Owen in Colorado. Uh, Richard Gabriel has a, uh, a national litigation practice focusing on uh, general and complex commercial litigation, intellectual property litigation of all kinds, and products liability litigation. Uh, Rich Gabriel currently serves as lead national counsel for the Recording Industry Association of America, in connection with the recording industry's lawsuits against those who illegally copy and distribute the record company's sound recordings through unauthorized file-sharing programs. Mr. Gabriel also has defended and prosecuted trademark and copyright claims for such clients as Sony Music Entertainment, Zamba Music, Michael Jackson, the Colorado Rockies, Build-A-Bear, and Coors. Welcome to the show, Rich Gabriel. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Well, our next guest is attorney Fred Von Lohman. Fred is a senior staff attorney with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, specializing in intellectual property issues. In that role, he's represented programmers, technology innovators, and individuals in litigation against every major record label, movie studio, and television network, as well as several cable TV networks and music publishers in the U.S., in addition to litigation, he's involved in EFF's efforts to educate policymakers regarding the proper balance between intellectual property protection and the public interest in fair use, free expression, and innovation. Welcome to the show, Fred. Thanks for having me. Rich, uh, Rich Gabriel, let's start with you and ask if you can just kind of give us an overview of your role uh, as National Lead Counsel for the RIAA. 
Sure, I'd be delighted uh, to do that. Uh, as uh, lead national counsel, we're in charge of all of the cases all over the country. Uh, right now, we have litigation in 47 states. Uh, so as you might imagine, it's a fairly significant task uh, for any lawyer or law firm. Uh, we have a pretty significant team inside my firm, uh, and I also have uh, well over 40 local counsel uh, that I supervise throughout the country. And obviously, the job is to make sure we do the best job we can in every case and hopefully not drop any balls uh, with, with the many cases that we have. And how many cases is that? How many cases are pending right now? Well, I don't know the exact number. Uh, I can say that in terms of uh, what we'll define as we define as active litigation, meaning is that a defendant has filed an answer or some sort of motion, uh, it's there are several hundred uh, or so presently pending. Uh, obviously, we do send letters to people that we are uh, finding who are infringing uh, all the time, and I, I don't have numbers on how many letters are outstanding at this point. And Fred, why don't you tell us about your role uh, in this arena? Well, I'm an attorney with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and we at EFF uh, have been following the recording industry's litigation campaign closely since its inception a little more than four years ago. Uh, and our role, we, we quickly found that we couldn't actually defend all the individuals. There have been over 20,000 people who have either been sued or threatened with lawsuits by the recording industry over the past four years. And we quickly realized that if we were to try to defend uh, 20,000 or more people one by one, that just wasn't something that was going to work uh, with our legal team, which you know is much smaller than, than Rich's. We have three lawyers here that uh, do all the intellectual property work. And so we've tried to get the most bang for our buck by trying to connect uh, individuals with lawyers around the country who are willing to defend these cases. Uh, some of those lawyers work for free. Others work for reduced fees. Uh, in essence, we've also tried to sort of put the spotlight on the tactics that the recording industry is using and uh, what we view as the largely the failure of this program to actually turn the tide on file sharing. Despite uh, the thousands of lawsuits, there's more file sharing going on today than ever before. Uh, so, you know, a mix of advocacy, education, and uh, being a clearinghouse for individuals seeking uh, a legal defense. Well, Rich, let's uh, ask you, what is, the, uh, what is wrong with file sharing, and, and why, are, why is the recording industry taking this approach to it, uh, taking, uh, you know, resorting to the courts to try and tackle it? Well, sure. Well, well, I mean, what's wrong with file sharing is it's unlawful. It's uh, akin to shoplifting if you're in the physical world. Uh, essentially, people at a, at a huge level, the U.S. Supreme Court in the Grokster case described the problem of Internet piracy as infringement on a gigantic scale. We're talking about millions and millions and millions of unauthorized uh, copies of music being downloaded and distributed uh, on these unauthorized sites all the time. Uh, why pursue it? Uh, it's having a devastating effect on the recording industry. We're talking about millions and millions uh, of, do of damages, dollars in damages in economic harm, thousands of people who are out of work. Uh, the recording industry can't sign new artists because of the economic harm here. They, they can't keep artists in their roles, and you don't have to look far to see all the, the retail shops, uh, in, you know, CD uh, sales shops, going out of business. Uh, it's an unusual phenomenon in our 21st century, uh, but the fact of the matter is the, the illegal world is really controlling uh, the market with devastating uh, effects. 
And so we've got no choice but to, to do our best to police that market. Uh, why, uh, why lawsuits is, you know, we've tried to shut down uh, the file sharing services best we can, obviously, uh, with some good success. The recording industry shut down Napster and then it's become legal. Uh, ultimately, we went to the Supreme Court in the Grokster case where uh, we had lost below and the Supreme Court ruled nine to nothing our way. But along the way, we did lose some battles uh, and uh, ultimately saw no choice but to sue the end users who are, you know, the, the primary infringers uh, of our copyrighted works. Uh, so, we, you know, it's certainly not our choice, not what we would like to be doing filing lawsuits. I would rather be making good music uh, for the world to listen to. But the market really is being dominated by illegal downloads. And so I think the effort here uh, is several. One, of course, we're trying to deter uh, what is really illegal conduct. We're trying to educate people about what is, you know, what is legal conduct. Uh, and, of course, we're trying to even out the marketplace. We don't have uh, any, uh, I think, mis uh, illusions that you will, will file sharing ever go away completely. Probably not. There are clever people out there who will figure ways around it. Uh, but if you look and compare it to the, the physical piracy world, you know, bootlegs, CDs at flea markets, they're still here, but they don't control the marketplace. So uh, those, those are the pre preeminent goals, and I, and I will uh, respectfully disagree with uh, Mr. Von Lohman's comment that the lawsuits have failed, um, and I suggest quite the opposite. Uh, if you look at statistics, and I don't want to bore everybody with a bunch of statistics, but the statistics tend to show that the lawsuits are having uh, a, a positive impact. I'll just cite you know, two. Uh, before these lawsuits were filed, uh, if you ask people that they think downloading in these file-sharing services was illegal, 37% thought it was, uh, and I, uh, some, uh, over 50% thought it was legal. Today, if you ask that question, 73% of the people say downloading in these unauthorized file-sharing services is illegal. And when you ask what is, the, what is the reason you know that, the either number one or number two reasons given are these lawsuits. And so I respectfully submit that these lawsuits are having an impact. Again, is that what we'd like to be doing in the recording industry? Of course not. But is it a necessity? I believe that it is. Well, let's hear from Fred von Lohman on this question. Fred, uh, what's, what's your response to that? Well, frankly, you know, Mr. Gabriel is a fine lawyer without question. Uh, but I think on the question of whether the campaign as a whole has proven to be a wise choice, uh, I think it's hard to, uh, to, to argue uh, that these lawsuits have, have quote-unquote, worked. Um, I agree with Mr. Gabriel that they have had a certain educational effect. Uh, a lot more people today know that the uh, entertainment industry views this activity as illegal, and many of the courts uh, seem to be going their way as well. Uh, and the lawsuits have had a big role in that. Uh, that much I, I completely admit is true. The question, though, I think uh, if you asked the recording industry four years ago, uh, is your goal here just to make people feel guilty, or is your goal here actually to uh, reduce the incidence of file sharing? I think they would have to have said they would have preferred a world where there was less file sharing at the end of thousands of lawsuits than more. Uh, and every survey has showed that there's more file sharing today than when the lawsuits began four years ago. Of course, anybody uh, who's on a college campus or anyone who uh, knows someone who's heavily invested in, uh, you know, digital music, uh, you know, they'll tell you, sure, file sharing still goes on, the networks still work, despite the thousands of lawsuits, you know, the odds of being sued are still 
pretty darn low. You know, 20,000 lawsuits against some 18 to 20 million Americans downloading. Uh, you know, the campaign just isn't working. It's not turning the tide. And on the other score, I think it's really a shame because the campaign isn't working because it's not putting any money into the pockets of creators. Um, and on this front, I think Mr. Gabriel and I agree. The goal here is not to sue people. The goal here is not to make f- people, you know, music fans feel bad for being music fans. The goal is to get compensation into the pockets of those who deserve to be compensated, uh, the artists and the copyright owners. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, Mr. Gabriel can correct me if this is incorrect, uh, but I have not heard that a single penny of the money collected from the individuals who have been sued has been paid out in royalties to artists. Um, now, of course, you can argue that the impact is maybe you've stopped a few people from downloading. Fine, that may well be true. Uh, but I don't think anybody thinks this is a business model. This isn't the way the music industry is going to uh, uh, sign new acts and raise money. I certainly hope not. Uh, so we've been saying now for several years what we need is a system that's going to get artists paid, that's not going to turn every music fan into a suspect. Uh, And we've been saying for some time a blanket license makes a lot more sense. Why can't the record industry give the fans the option to pay a few dollars a month, and in exchange for that, go ahead and keep doing what you're going to do anyway. Uh, Download from whatever's convenient for you, whatever format works for you, go ahead and download. Just make sure you've paid into a kitty. Um, and I think, you know, I think, frankly, in the long run, we're probably going to end up there. Uh, because, again, I don't think anyone thinks these lawsuits are actually a, a substitute for the, for the business. Well, I mean, how would that work? Are you talking about a model similar to, to what might be used on, on a, a subscription service like Napster now, where a, a consumer would pay a, a, a fixed monthly rate and be able to download an unlimited amount? Or, or what's, the, what's the model in more detail? Well, I think the key here is you need a system that admits that people are going to download what they want, when they want, from wherever is convenient. I mean, that's what the last nine years have shown us. Ever since Napster came on the scene, uh, we've had a situation where that's, you know, de facto been where music fans live. Uh, So, you know, I think it would be great if we had collectives that would allow you basically that freedom in exchange for a monthly fee. So to that extent, it's similar to a subscription in that you would pay, I think, a flat fee makes the most sense. Uh, But it's different from a subscription in that you wouldn't be forced to go to one particular store. You wouldn't be forced to use one particular format. You wouldn't be limited to just whatever inventory Rhapsody or Napster or one of these other uh, subscription services can come up with. Uh, The idea would be an all-you-can-eat kind of uh, license. Uh, And, you know, as long as the labels are being paid, I think that makes the the best sense. That way you get the most innovation, the most options for consumers, the most competition in the marketplace, instead of being limited to one or two or a handful of of, of proprietary silos. Uh, You know, where could it be collected? Some people have suggested tacking it on to residential broadband subscriptions. Others have suggested make it a subscription fee that you can pay through a software vendor. Um, you know, there are a lot of ways that you can collect a fee. Um, I personally think we should, you know, let the market decide that. Once you have this license in place, uh, presumably everyone will have an incentive to uh, put the toll booth uh, where, it, where it's the most effective, and, and I, I think that's the right answer. This, by the way, is how we've dealt with copyright in the radio world for decades. Um, radio stations pay uh, 
three different performing rights organizations, ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. These are the three big ones. You pay these three folks, and you've got basically the rights covered for every songwriter you know, in the world. And you can play whatever music you like uh, from whatever source is convenient. Uh, and, you know, these, these organizations don't tell you what technology you have to use. They don't uh, force you to, uh, you know, play only certain songs. Uh, it's a blanket license, and radio stations pay into a kitty, and that's worked very well for copyright owners. And I'm, I think it's high time the American music fan get the same option. Well, if I can respond to, to a couple of things that that Fred said. Uh, f- uh, first of all, in terms, of, uh, Fred indicated that uh, you know the numbers of illegal downloads are going up, and I think while literally true, um, I, I don't think it paints the complete picture because uh, the fact of the matter is broadband penetration is more than doubled, uh, but the number of illegal downloads has has while increased numbers-wise as a percentage, it's actually slowed quite a bit. So I think there's been some containment in that area. Uh, With respect to the legal digital music landscape, uh, the fact of the matter is I think the recording industry has heard uh, what its its customers are are looking for, and I think there's a a, a very powerful legal marketplace for digital music that's beginning to gain traction. Uh, I think all the statistics we see show legal online sales are growing uh, dramatically, rising in in huge percentages. Hundreds of digital partners I think are being licensed. So I, I, I can't speak to where the recording industry is on the kind of the concept uh, that Fred was, was advocating, but I can say there's a, a lot of uh, evidence that the, the legal digital world that the recording industry has been working on and working with uh, is growing uh, in, in extreme numbers. And that's that's well, where we should be heading. I mean, I, I, it's interesting. It is kind of hard to figure out, though, isn't it? Who who gets hurt by this? I mean, the, as we said earlier in the show, the, the musicians are on both sides of this. And the, the, this recent experiment by by Radiohead, I I think I read that something like sixty percent of the downloads uh, paid nothing. Uh, their experiment was to make it optional to pay for the download. Uh, but even even with that, uh, they still made a tidy profit and, and increased sales of their of their back catalog. And, so, and did not have to share it with a record label. And did not share it with a record label. So, I mean, how do you sort out uh, the issue? Why why is the RIA not pursuing more of a uh, a licensing option as the EFF has has uh, proposed here? Well, uh, and so, uh, I think the RIA, the recording industry, generally is pursuing licenses with many legal services. Uh, the fact of the matter is, the legal helps, and in, in, in the, the point you make about artists is an important one. The fact of the matter is, when you can, when you're focused on the legal world and not hemorrhaging revenue, you have the money to invest in new talent and new music. Uh, when you're not laying off thousands of people because of this problem, that's certainly what the recording industry wants to do. And I think if we can get the, the marketplace uh, evened out and fair, there will be the resources to do that. And then that's certainly the hope. And, and, I, and I heard the same thing you had about, you know, the, the, the most people don't pay anything. You know, well, it's just a reality. If you say some, to somebody, look, you can pay zero for this, this sound recording, uh, or, you, you know, you can pay, you know, 20, whatever, 99 cents for it, you know, most people think they're not going to get caught, and they pay nothing. And that was, you know, one of the issues we had in our Jamie Thomas case in, in Minnesota. I think the lady thought she would never get caught. Uh, and in that case, 
Uh, she told us at the beginning, I'm innocent, come look at my hard drive, and then she gave us a different hard drive. Again, it's an a- and the point here is there's an attitude. Uh, Fred is right. There are millions and millions of people out there uh, who download and distribute music illegally, and we can't find all of them. We certainly do our best to go after the ones that we can find, but there is, and I think the Seventh Circuit made a comment on this in an opinion, said, you know, there's just this sense of, I will never get caught. And so it's that part of what we're doing, I think, is trying to control that. And, and one of the, the, I think, good ramifications for the recording industry from the Jamie Thomas case is it sent a very powerful message uh, that we will catch people who do this. And when you do, there is a very serious consequence. And she could have settled for a very nominal amount of money, and that's an important point. As, as uh, most or many of our listeners, pro- listeners probably know, uh, the copyright statute sets for the statutory ra- range of statutory damages. Uh, the jury in this case could have awarded over $3 million uh, in damages. The minimum is 750 a recording. We, se- we settle cases for far less than that. Uh, Ms. Thomas decided she was going to fight us and teach us a lesson, and the jury didn't buy it. And they awarded $9,250 per, per recording, found willful infringement, and public sources from a juror who was interviewed said there were a few jurors who would have awarded $150,000. Uh, that, I think, you know, is leave it to the jury as to the message they wanted to send. But from where we sit, it says downloading and distribution of, of, uh, of our copyrighted music is not appropriate, and there are very serious consequences to those who get caught doing it. I think Ms. Thomas learned the hard way. I wish she would have settled. When you talk, Fred, about looking at the issue of individual file sharing on a peer-to-peer basis, using free shareware, it's almost like drinking from a fire hydrant. How do you really address the problem to try and get those individuals uh, that are sharing music back and forth to be able to pay? That's why I think the key here is you need a system that takes that reality into account. Um, and while Mr. Gabriel is right that there are many new authorized services available and many of them are succeeding in competing very successfully with free, one only needs to look at Apple's iTunes store to see, you know, you can download every song on iTunes on a file sharing network for free, and yet people, millions of people, are opting to pay 99 cents a download. So there's a business there. You can compete with free. But the problem is you have to make a compelling offer. So iTunes is a great application for the people who use it, but if you compare that to the total number of people who are engaged in digital music, Apple's market share is a tiny drop in the bucket. I think Mr. Gabriel himself said the illegal, the unauthorized file sharing continues to dominate the market, continues to be what's actually calling the shots. And so in order to address that, I think you need a payment structure that doesn't try to charge people per download. Um, After all, we now have iPods that store 40,000 songs. Does anyone realistically believe that people are going to spend 99 cents a download times 40,000 to fill their iPod? I mean, that's just not a realistic response to the marketplace reality. Uh, And that's been the problem. The record labels have been unwilling to realize that, you know, it's no longer a game of charge per song. It's no longer a game of putting restrictions on the files, telling you how many computers you can play it on, telling you whether you can use it on your iPod or not. These are all just impediments to bringing people in from the cold. As you point out, we need to give people a reason to pay, a reason to shift over. Uh, And I think the only way you do that is you say, okay, we're going to give you everything you want. 
We're going to get the lawsuits off your back. You're going to be safe. Uh, just make sure to pay a small amount. Make it convenient. Make it easy. That's how you're going to move all the people over. Add it to, a, you know, as I said, if you add it to residential broadband bills, that's the kind of thing that many people, you know, it'll feel free, right? You, you know, if you're, as somebody who's a Netflix subscriber myself, you know, I get DVDs in the mail all the time, and it feels free to me because it's a monthly uh, fee I've already paid. Cable television works the same way. Cell phone bills work the same way. Uh, I think that's the only realistic way to go. Uh, the other thing to emphasize here is this is not just an Internet problem. This is not just a peer-to-peer file-sharing problem, right? I mean, on a typical college campus today, uh, college students are swapping iPods. They're swapping hard drives. They're sharing uh, information wirelessly but directly between their computers. The folks uh, who make hard drives have basically said within the next five years, we'll have hard drives that will uh, contain four terabytes of data, So just to give you a a sort of realistic sense of what that means, within five years or so, you should be able to carry around, in essence, all the recorded music in history uh, in a hard drive that probably will cost you less than $200. Uh, And so in a world like that, it's not enough to just talk about scaring people off a peer-to-peer. You really need to fundamentally change the model uh, to admit that we're moving into a world where copying cannot be controlled. You can't stop people from copying. The technology just won't give you that kind of power. What you can do is give them a reason to pay, make the payment very convenient, make it something uh, uh, that's easier to pay than not pay. Uh, And I think that's the direction we need to go. And so far, things like iTunes and these subscription services aren't there yet. They're, They're still working in a world where they want you to pay per song. Well, it's time for us to take a short break. We will be right back. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayofpleasereport.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit.
A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We're speaking with uh, Richard L. Gabriel, who's the uh, uh, lead national counsel for the RIAA, and with attorney Fred Von Lohman from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And uh, <clears throat> I was wondering, uh, Rich, I, 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 watching the, the news in the recent week and, and saw, that, of course, uh, as everybody else did, that uh, uh, Merck, uh, after taking a long uh, time stance that it was going to litigate every Vioxx case in the country uh, entered into a national settlement. Uh, and, and I wondered if that uh, forebode anything for these cases. I mean, again, I, I just wonder uh, how long can this litigation approach go on? And at what point do you need to find some alternative way to address this issue? Well, <clears throat> that, of course, is up to my clients as to how long they will continue to do this. I'll say we're always exploring alternatives. Uh, as you know, Fred pointed out, I mean, the, the record companies are there, and I think I said before, the record companies have licensed hundreds of digital partners, and, and, and it really is a wide range of models. It's, it's not just a couple. We're talking about download and subscription services, cable and satellite, ra- satellite radio services, internet radio, webcasting, legitimate peer-to-peer services. The record company is a, a record companies, as best I can tell, are always exploring those other options. Uh, in the meantime, you know, these lawsuits uh, are, you know, are continuing, uh, and, and I do believe that they, they are having uh, an impact. Now, Fred said a minute ago that you can't stop the copying, uh, and, you know, we're realistic. I mean, we're, there are millions and millions of people out there doing it. There are very clever uh, people in this country who you can shut down, you know, every service that exists today, and there may be other ones. Uh, but I, I, I respectfully would uh, I, I respectfully reject that argument that says we should just let it be because it's so rampant. Uh, if you you know, take, you know, try to substitute a different, some different product in there. You know, TVs. You know, gee, uh, we don't. You know, the music is too expensive. We don't like that, so it's okay to get it for free. You know, no one would make the argument that it's okay uh, to continue shoplifting because everybody's doing it. If we we got to that uh, into that realm, and so I would uh, I, I would disagree. Just as a moral and ethical ground, the conduct is illegal. There's no question that it's illegal, uh, and you know the goal certainly to educate and deter and people to understand that it's illegal to deter the conduct and to make uh, to give people options legal options which we are doing if you define a peer-to-peer network uh, that shares music through software as an illegal download if someone chooses to use an illegal methodology is there a legal way for them to get money to the music industry or to the artists with using that setup, not using any one of the legal ones? Yeah, I'm thinking through that question, and I'm not, I'm not sure of the answer. 
to that question. I, I would certainly and do recommend to, to friends and family to go to the legal ones. It's the safest place to go. Yeah, uh, there, just to answer the question, there is no, uh, I'm certainly not aware of any uh, mechanism that would allow you to do that. There are some companies that are trying. Um, probably the best known is a company called GrooveShark uh, that is trying to build a peer-to-peer file sharing uh, system where you can share whatever you want uh, and when you share it, you know, it's authorized by the labels and a payment uh, gets made. Uh, and, in fact, they uh, want to set up a system where you'll get paid for sharing it and the artist will get paid as well. Uh, the problem has been they haven't been able to close deals with all the major labels. Um, and this has been a problem that has afflicted the technology, uh, the peer-to-peer technology sector since Napster came online in 1999. The labels continue to view peer-to-peer uh, file sharing as uh, frightening technology that doesn't fit into their existing business models. And while I do think, you know, I agree with Mr. Gabriel, they've gotten much better in recent years. There's much more willingness on the part of the labels to entertain new approaches than there was for the past six or seven years. There's still a long way to go. And, uh, you know, I think you know, when, when Mr. Gabriel says this is really a morality question, I couldn't disagree more. Um, from the label's point of view, this is a problem about money, not a problem about morality. Um, if anything, I think the morality uh, problem is uh, the recording industry's problem, right? I mean, I hear from college students, from their parents uh, all the time who say even the settlement amounts that Mr. Gabriel describes, which uh, based on our information started about $3,000, that's an amount of money that, you know, for some people that may not be much, uh, but for many people that's the difference between being in college and dropping out of college. Uh, and when you're choosing college students at random, roughly 400 a month in the past uh, uh, six or eight months now, uh, and hitting them with $3,000 settlement demands uh, with, you know, total indifference to their financial uh, position, uh, you know, in essence the recording industry doesn't even know who these students are before they sue them, uh, you know, you have a situation where what are you going to say to the students that were forced to drop out of college five years from now when, you know, they pack up these lawsuits and move to a more sensible business model? Well, Fred, when we take people and we, college students or whatever financial position they're in, and we catch them doing a crime, we put people like that in jail. What do you, I mean, it just doesn't this make is not, sense. This, you see, but Richard, you know better than that. This is not a crime. Criminal copyright infringement requires more than what these college students are uh, involved with. It requires it's intent. intent. And, I, and I, I certainly didn't say, you know, these are civil actions. I, I you know, I do. Yeah. I, I wasn't saying we're, we're bringing criminal actions here. Right. But, I, but I would say, too, I want to respond to some, something that Fred just said a second ago. Uh, and that it is absolutely true that when we first capture these people, we don't know who they are. Uh, and we certainly have made it easier for uh, students to, to to settle cases. Many of them, they, they, we get feedback. If you can settle anonymously, that would you know that would mean a lot to them because of uh, various academic disciplinary policies. So we've got a site where students could settle anonymously, not on anybody's record, case over, and they've and they've responded very well to that. But I, I would say also, it's not true to say that we don't consider somebody's financial circumstances when they call us and say, "I've got a financial." You know, issue on that. We take each case as it comes, and we have settlement discussions all the time. Uh, and you know, we talk to people about their circumstances and try. The, the goal doesn't do us any 
good if we put people, everybody in bankruptcy uh, or make them drop out of school so they could never pay anything. That doesn't make any sense to anybody. And so we do work with, with, with anybody, any uh, person uh, to whom we send a demand letter or we sue uh, and, you know, and, and try to work out a, a plan that works. And the fact of the matter is people, I think, for the most part, respond positively. Well, we've about reached the end of our time for this program. Before we wrap it up, we'd like to give each of you an opportunity to wrap up and give us your final thoughts. Uh, so, Richard, Gabriel, let's start with you. And uh, also, uh, if you care to share contact information with our listeners so they can know how to get in touch with you or find more about your work, please do that as well. Oh, I, I much appreciate that. Let me first thank uh, uh, both of you for having me on the show, and I'd like to, to thank Fred as well uh, for the high level of the dialogue that we've had today. I much appreciate that. Uh, I can be contacted at my law firm's website, uh, which is www.hro.com. You can find a biography of me uh, as well as contact information on that, and I'd uh, be happy to hear from anybody. Um, I guess I'll just sum up by saying what I've said before, and that, that is that the file sharing, which is, of course, a misnomer because it's not kind of sharing with a friend. It's perhaps file training on, on the, the scale that we're talking about does have devastating consequences to the recording industry. Uh, as I've said, we would rather not be spending our time filing lawsuits and pursuing uh, people who uh, download and distribute our music uh, without authorization. We'd rather be making fantastic music uh, and sharing it with the world. Uh, but uh, given where the marketplace is, we have no choice but to uh, do everything that we can to, to get this, uh, this uh, epidemic under control. Uh, we've done that. Uh, I think uh, we have had some had good success in doing it. I think that in the first trial we've had in the Jamie Thomas trial, uh, the, the jury sent a message, I hope, to, to people out there that there's a serious risk to you if you do this and you get caught. Uh, and we are willing to try the cases. We'd rather not, uh, but we will take a case to trial. Uh, we are realistic. I don't believe, you know, anyone in the recording industry would say we could ever shut this down to zero. Uh, but as we see in the physical piracy world and bootleg CDs, that's a small uh, part of the quote-unquote market out there. Uh, I think we can achieve achieve um, some sense of fairness in the market. The recording industry does get the issue. It does get that we, what our consumers are asking for, and I think it's made incredible strides in, in uh, providing uh, wonderful music in a legal digital uh, uh, marketplace. And so we hope to, to see continued good things like that in the future, and we hope to see far less uh, of the uh, epidemic of downloading and distribution that we're seeing on unauthorized networks. Uh, so, again, thank you very much for having me on the show, gentlemen. Fred Von Lohmann of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, your final thoughts, and uh, where can our listeners find out more about your work? Sure. Um, the best place to go to find out more about ESF is our website, which is eff.org, eff.org. And there are two things there that uh, people who want more information might be particularly interested in. One is a report we just finished a few months ago called RIAA versus the People Four Years Later. Uh, and that gives a, a, a high-level overview of the entire legal campaign uh, from the, its beginning four years ago to uh, the current uh, situation. And the other document is called A Better Way Forward, uh, and that is a, a more detailed description of what I mentioned earlier, the idea that we really should move to a blanket licensing solution where fans are able to pay for what they're, frankly, going to do anyway, which is share the music they love uh, you know, in whatever format and form is most convenient for them. 
Uh, in terms of final thoughts, I just want to emphasize that I agree with Mr. Gabriel and others who've said this is obviously not what the recording industry wants to be doing. Uh, and I, in fact, think five years from now they won't be doing this. Um, this lawsuit campaign will eventually become, I think, a rather dark footnote in the history of the music business, uh, and we'll move on to a different model. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that day. And in the meantime, I can't help but think how unfair this campaign will seem to the 20, 30, 40,000 people who got caught in it before the recording industry figured out a better way. Uh, so I hope that we all get to uh, a, a place where it's not about lawsuits anymore. It's about being a music fan. It's about evangelizing the music you love and being rewarded for it instead of punished for it. Well, thank you to both of you for participating today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure and informative program. Um, Craig, uh, good to talk to you, and look forward to talking to you again next week. Good to talk to you, Bob, and likewise, a great program. Look forward to um, seeing you next week. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.